0: artists like the Dinah Ross, Aretha, Chicago, Doobies, Darius, Earth, Wind & Fire, uh, Gladys Knight, uh, Steely Dan, kemps I've had everybody. Amazing. And people that I would have never dreamed that would become my friends, Tony Bennett's of the world, Michael McDonald. I've got Smokey uh, coming up this year. And really, I've been fortunate enough to have uh, almost anybody you can think about that's been a great legend. Not my wildest dreams, but um, we are, and it's it's flourishing, and it's again bringing people a lot of joy.
1: Welcome to Musically Hitched, a podcast featuring the untold stories of entertainment professionals from household names to budding superstars and those still hidden in plain sight. Each life has a soundtrack. Our stories are the lyrics. I'm Zach Reynolds Jr. And I'm Crystal Reynolds. This, this is, is Musically Hitched. Hitched. To our listeners, we'd like to say thank you so much for tuning in. Go ahead and hit that plus sign or follow button and leave a rating and review. This helps the podcast reach and add value to others just like you. We appreciate your support. Welcome to another episode of Musical.ly Hits. I'm your host Zach junior we We're here today in Charlotte, North Carolina with a staple, a veteran in the industry, a major, major contributor to entertainers at large, Mr. Larry Farber. Larry, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to have you at Little C Jazz. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. So the venue is fantastic. It's my first time here. It won't be my last, but thanks for the invite. And thanks for joining us on Music Musical.ly today. I'm honored. So your life has been a life dedicated to music. I have known that for some time. Um, I'm glad for our listeners to get an opportunity to hear your story because it is an incredible, incredible treat. So uh, let's start with, with your journey. You are a musician. You're a businessman, entrepreneur. Um, a community advocate. Where did this start? How did you know that music was the path that you should take? You know,
0: uh, it's, I think, you know, sometimes we talk about genetics, DNA. Luckily, on my mom's side, we had a lot of musicians in our family. My uncle Jack was a band leader from Philadelphia, played in South America. And as a, 8 910 nine, 10-year-old, I would go see my Uncle Jack sit on his lap as he would play the piano for me. You didn't realize then that that was forming those, those impressions on me at an early age. His daughter, by the way, uh, Davida Overman, became a great violinist and played with, believe it or not, Elvis, Wayne Newton, and Doc Severinsen. So it was in my family, my Uncle Lou on this, that side of the family was a great dancer in Hollywood. So I grew up and knew that music was in my family and and I felt it and it was a part of our lives as kids. Uh, when I was 12 uh, one of my friends moved down, became a great friend from New York. One day after basketball I walked in his house and there was this baby grand piano. We were a very modest family so we didn't have a piano. sat down and I just started Hitting the keys, went home, told my parents that I really wanted the piano, that I truly wanted to learn how to play. And literally the next week, they bought my first piano, and sort of the journey began
1: from there. That's awesome. So, you're you're eight, at that time. You were how old again? Twelve. Twelve. So no experience prior to that. Just saw the piano, kind of. it Because I wanted it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. what did your parents say? You know, they were supportive because, you know,
0: again, music <laughs> had been in the family. And they bought this piano. That, by the way, Zach, uh, I couldn't sell it. So, almost fifty-eight years later, that piano resides in my oldest son's house, no waiting there for his uh, daughter, my granddaughter, to one day play. Wow! I couldn't sell it not only because it was that first piano and the and the uh, just memorabilia, yeah. but there was a great pianist named Peter Nero, goes back decades and. He became friends with our family, came over our house and he signed it. Practice, damn it, practice, Peter (laughs) Nero. And so again, for me, that inscription um, meant so much to me that I just couldn't see selling it and giving it away. Even though it may be the 100th piano that I've seen and bought between bands Mm -hmm. and playing, it's just one that is near and dear to my heart. And even behind us on stage, uh, I have my first Fender Rhodes that I can't sell and uh, a couple of Yamahas, Kurzweil, I have a
1: hard time. People collect cars. I collect pianos. Yeah, 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 yeah. So did you did you start mm-hmm. getting formal training soon, and the parents buy in and say, "Hey, you need to get?" They did, and I
0: think my first teacher, Ziggy Hurwitz, started taking lessons from him, and he was the guy that taught a lot of great band members around Charlotte. And he taught me not only about piano but about life. Nice. And he was the one that really instructed me to to learn it, to enjoy it, to make it my. Vocation and enjoy it, but not to make it my life's work unless I got into the business side. Right. Because he told me that, as both a piano teacher by day and a musician by night, that it was a, it was a rough life. Right. And he said, Larry, I think um, I want more for you. And I took those words to heart. And it, although I started playing in bands shortly after that first piano at 12, I literally. I had a band when I was 13 playing Oh, When the Saints Go Marching In. Wow. And then at probably 14, I played my first job for a little bar mitzvah uh, in Charlotte and it was for $20, dollars for members who made five bucks a piece. You don't forget that. <laughs> but um, that $5 felt like $5,000. Sure, and sure. it got me going in the right direction. And, and then I played um, in bands in Charlotte, Beach Motown, all the way through school, Chapel Hill. Yeah. I had a band. I was the guy that didn't get to go to his own prom. I was a guy that didn't go to any fraternity and sorority parties because I was driving the highway to Athens in Atlanta, yeah. up to Virginia. You were um, playing these parties. You I was, was you were playing, playing the parties. So I really, I mean, truthfully never experienced any one of my proms, which was okay, because right. okay. you felt more like the star when you're on stage <laughs> and all your classmates would see it. <laughs> but um, I did that uh, really basically through college and then um, when I got out of school, that's when I got on the business side of it
1: so this love affair started early for you so how did you navigate that when you know peer pressure is, is a real thing right and either you like that attention or you don't did you find that you like the attention that, you, that your classmates were giving you? Did you were you validated by it or you just like i'm just i'm just going to do it whether they like it or not
0: you know i, I was validated about because um you know i was a, average athlete, you know, I played a little tennis, a little basketball in junior high school, but I wasn't going to be the the guy that was the star of of any of the teams. I was just, uh, you know, the role player. Mm -hmm. So, but I knew I had a little bit of a, a little talent in music and that I could excel there and that would give me that, that, that pride. And so it did, but more than that, what you found as you found uh, playing is the camaraderie created by those, your friends and fellow musicians. Right. You know, no different than the sports team. You look around, and if your bass player isn't doing what he needs to do, then just like an offensive tackle, you can't run through those halls, or the drummer not laying down the groove, then no matter what I'm playing, it just doesn't come together. So, you're sure. part of a team. It's just a musical team. It's a team. And I loved it. And, um, you know, I never really played much solo kind of yeah, I, know, I always was playing with a group and I loved it and I you know that's what I miss more than anything now when you get when you've done it for most of your life uh, it's still great that people go oh my gosh Larry, you have a jazz club you can get up there and play a tune that feels good but what, what I miss now is, is those, those people that were my bandmates yeah
1: yeah right so out of all of the, the bandmates that you just described, were you the only one that, that made a, a go of it professionally, or did any of the others stick with it?
0: No, I mean, um, probably of that whole collection of musicians i play with over my life, um, there are still, <clears throat> I'm sure, 10 to 20 people really actively playing. There's a woman named Robin Springer, great great jazz R&B singer, I mean, marvelous, and she sings here at Middle see okay. eight to ten times a year. Um, my drummer and bass player still have a band in South Carolina. They're playing part-time just to get their, keep their licks in. My guitar player, a local guy named Greg Hagel, who literally was with me in one of my first bands, uh, is still playing in the duo. So, um, you know, you appreciate this morning thing, and we say it, it's cliche, but it's true. It gets in your blood that's, that's and right. Right. you just can't give it up. Uh, and and you know it
1: feeds your soul. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. So we hit the college years now. So did you study music in, in college? Now I studied music. at Chapel Hill,
0: like you. Um, I was a psych major uh, with a minor uh, in music, and so I took a few music classes. But I was had every intention uh, to follow Ziggy Hurwitz's advice and not music my life so I got into law school and uh, was, was literally preparing to go and I graduated in May of 1973 from Chapel Hill uh, I, I um, was gonna go to law school and got in and then decided I wanted to take a year off and then I went to work for a man named Ted Hall who had hit attractions he was sort of like the godfather of all all of the people that are in the business now and my intention really was to work a year and see if I liked it, get my toe in it. But I, I, I wanted to keep my spot in law school because I felt like I would be a disappointment to my parents and and right. and to not pursue being an attorney, be a doctor, be an accountant. And, uh, but I, I get my toe, I liked it. And then at the same time, I resurrected my band, so I started playing a few gigs. Nice. And then crazy thing about eight months into uh, that journey after I graduated I opened a beach music club in Charlotte so I was multitasking (laughs) and I realized after a year there was no chance I was going back to law school I tasted (laughs) just a little bit of success I thought it was a lot of money back then it really wasn't but it felt like to me but then I I said you know what this is for you you know this
1: really is your calling So you're, so you're, are you still playing music at this point as well as you're dabbling in the business side of it now, but are you also playing as well? Well,
0: it's mostly business. I still, we have a night here once, uh, probably every three or six months. Most of the people that work here for me, um, love music and play music um, and have. So we'll, once about every six months, get on stage and play. And so I can still... Keep my chops up. I have have a baby grand piano at home that I'll play a little bit, but um, I'm not playing professionally anymore. It it was, it got I stopped out about three or four years ago, and I say that because I'm proud of that part of it because I know now I don't treat the musicians that come out from behind that stage any differently than I want them to be treated. So they get they feel the love and warmth, and they know it's different. And I wouldn't be able to be as good an owner had I not been a player as you, you know, and I mean that. That's very true. Uh, and, I, and the people here, our staff, know that uh, I want them to get the best of the best. I mean, I don't mean to, uh, to, to compliment myself in any way, but there was a musician that played here a month ago. And, you know, I went up to her afterwards and she was incredible. And I went, you know, I know how much we paid you. And I know how much you had to pay these side men. And I know you came from Florida. And I know you flew here. And how did you make any money? And she said, I didn't, I just didn't price myself well. And she's, and and when she told me what she made, I went, that's not right. And I gave her a bonus enough to make it right. And she said, nobody would have done it. I said, look, I am, I can't, I don't care. We made a bad deal. And I want to make it right because I want you to come back here, and I want you to know that we did well with you. And I, this, at this point in my life, and I mean this, this is not uh, about money. Uh, I, whatever we make here, we're basically putting it back into making it nicer, bringing in bigger name artists, paying ourselves back for the investment. But nobody here is uh, going to make um, you know a huge return. You know, much of
1: any. Since this is such a hard road, I think that's that's an incredible story. and You're you're a man of great integrity. Not many people would do that, and that probably took her back like it did me. But I know you, and I know that that's something that you would do. But how do you help, let's say, that lady, another gentleman who's in the same boat? What does she need to know the next time around? What would you recommend? to up-and-coming musicians that want to make a good, that want to make a living, they're musically is like you and I are, they want to sustain themselves, even raise a family on music. What deal-making points would you give her if you sat down with her and consulted her one-on-one?
0: Yeah, I've always said that most musicians I know, most of them, are underappreciated and underpaid. But you really have to make sure that you have a good business model and that when that when you're putting a group together, that you're you know paying them a fair amount whether they're playing lo- locally or they have to drive and get home at three four in the morning to stay overnight, like, and you can't let and I say this because I was part of the largest agency in the in the really country, mm-hmm. um, you can't let any agent talk you into mm-hmm. doing something that you're not being fairly compensated for, True. and. Um, and so, if you get that model right, you figure what your expenses are going to be, and put some dollars away for the unexpected, then you can play, uh, enjoy it, and make a few extra dollars. But I think if this is your only, uh, your only profession, then you've got to supplement it with some other work during the week, or being part of your church, you know, uh, band, or teaching. You've got to sort of take charge and make sure that you've got a good financial model. In other words, uh, don't be naive about all of it. Make sure that you've got a sound plan uh, before you, you delve into this part of the business.
1: Are you ready to take your entertainment career to the next level? Contact us today at info at more to schedule your personal consultation or music business coaching session. So every, no matter what angle, whether someone wants to be a DJ, if they want to be an artist manager, if they want to be a, a stage manager, two of us drive, there's always something that you need to be aware of in order to, to stay musically. You've got to be focused on, how do I make money? right? It does have to become a priority at some point. You'll should, you should yeah. never make any. Right. And then you've got to continue to refine your knowledge and skills, and then just apply it and see what happens. That's right, that's right. So you, you, you've gotten into, booking bands at this point, and then you're a college student, supposed to be in law school. Right, right. Now we are ditching law school, so what happens next? So I got the job with Hit um, at Attractions, the guy that used to book
0: my band growing uh-huh. up, and I started as an agent, again in 1973, um, also doing some other things, playing in the little club. And, uh, you know, I realized that this was something I really wanted to do, and I didn't make uh, Again, a lot of money back then, but I loved what I was doing. And for me, Zach, uh, what I realized after 10, 12 years working for somebody else, that this has sort of been who I am anyway. I wanted to control my own destiny. And I took a step back and decided to become part an owner, whether you own your own van or you own your own business. And I had confidence that I could do it. And so I was, and I'm a risk taker not a, a, a wild risk taker, but I, I try to weigh the risk reward of things. And I go, and you know, you hear this again, you have one life to live, but I, I, I'm i never afraid to try and lose, but I'm more afraid not to try. Mm-hmm. And so um, the first few times you try and something then not go, well, you can just get back off the, the deck and, and fight and work hard. And, and I have, but I've realized that whatever the challenges are and obstacles, there's always, the fun part is trying to find solutions. So yeah. just open this club, November of 2019, the club is just off and running after three months and then COVID.
1: Right. And a lot of people right. would have
0: just closed the doors, given exactly. up, but I right. put in the streaming. We did, we did broadcast here um, for people until we could start having people again. We, we changed the model a little bit. We spread the tables out and had fewer people. We treaded water until things got better. And um, I knew that if we kept the momentum, and we kept the spirit and faith and trust, that the, it would it would turn around. Yeah. Isn't that,
1: isn't that similar to what real estate investors do? Those, the real hardcore developers, they, the market goes down, yeah. and what do they do? They just they buy
0: more. It goes down. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they reinvest, and they just know things cycle, and they're they're just not afraid. Yeah. Um, and uh, look, I, I look at the numbers every night that we're open and I just I'm not worry, I just look every night and even though we've become profitable and really on a higher trajectory than i anticipated this soon, I'm still not satisfied and that's part of who I am I'm always trying to think of a new night, what kind of music can we do on Wednesday night that will be exciting, what kind of theme can we have on Thursday, because what you learn in anything you do you just can't put a band on the stage. You've got to, it's got, there's gotta be a catch. And there's gotta be something that's gonna to appeal to a diverse group. Again, for me, and I look at my audience, I, I wanna see everybody out there, a, a cross-section of our community. And so I'm very conscious of that and program uh, that way. Something that I feel that during the week, there's gonna be something in this club that you're gonna love. There may be nights like, um, I brought Dave Ruback's Sundays in here, and there are more art and jazz bands, yet I've been bringing in some of the, you know, the Liquid Pleasures and surround sounds and, you know, um, Big Swings and Party in the Moons and um, more of the regional, I don't call them a wedding band, it's like an R&B crossover band. Yeah. And we're doing that on Thursday nights, and people are loving it, and it's not jazz, it's it's just. Our fun music—it's yeah. music. I mean, in essence, that could be Middle C music. Right. But I started it because I wanted this to be a home for jazz. And thankfully, with the Marion Meadows and, and and some of the Gerald Albrights and Jonathan Butlers and Mesa and uh, the people that I'm bringing in, I'm overwhelmed that uh, and honored that these people now know that Middle C jazz has become. A destination uh, in this country for that, just like the Blue Note in New York and some of the other places, this has become uh, a, a stopping point from here to Atlanta to Florida, to
1: Florida. Fantastic! East Coast Entertainment, one of the largest agencies of its kind in the country. How does that transition occur? You with his attractions up until yes, yeah, so truly uh, from in nineteen seventy
0: three. Hit Attractions was three or four times larger than East Coast. Really? East Coast was a just a, I say just was a small agency in Richmond owner. Dennis Huber and Steve Thomas had started it. And hit attractions was sorta of the deal. And we had a staff of about ten agents. I as I said in nineteen eighty six just knew I wanted more and had become friendly with Steve and Dennis and most of their business was in was in Virginia. Um, and we were doing some in Virginia, North Carolina, Georgia, South Carolina, Tennessee. And I went to those guys and just decided that I wanted to you know, do my own thing. And I said, look, guys, I'll open a Charlotte office and it'll be East Coast Entertainment. You stay in Richmond. So at that point, we had Richmond and Charlotte. And then I hired Ed Duncan, who was working for a competitor in Charlotte, and John Ross, and so the three of us basically opened the Charlotte office. Subsequent to that, Steve Thomas moved to Atlanta and then we had Charlotte, Richmond, and Atlanta. Okay. And then of course, you know, the rest of the story is history, you know, there's now probably 14 to 15 offices uh, that East Coast uh, has uh,
1: out there. But originally, uh, there, was, there was Richmond and Charlotte and then, and then at Atlanta. So. so East Coast then was not East Coast as we know it now, as you said though. Did you did you have to put up your own money to start the Charlotte office? Was it some type of, was it more like a partnership or did you actually go all in yourself and just say, I'll, I'll, I'll run it from here? Just no, we, I, I bought into their entity in Richmond okay.
0: and became partners with them. Uh, and then Steve and I became equal partners. Gotcha. But I was running the Charlotte office okay. along with, you know, the ed and, and jr at that time so how many years in east coast when you you semi-retired now, well so. i retired and semi is the right word <laughs> i retired december of 2019 but there were a few clients that wanted to continue work with me that were big festivals that i booked and um and they pretty much told the company if i left and this is an ego it's just they have a choice to go work with other people because the bands that I work with and buy for them are not East Coast exclusive bands. They're the Tim McGraws and the big names. So, um, but it's about a relationship I've had with them. And so I still handle a couple of things for East Coast. Most of it now runs through uh, the, the, the folks at East Coast, especially Charlotte. And um, and then but what's interesting, Zach, is and, and this is not an exaggeration. Every week, without a doubt, at least one call a week is from a former client that did not know I retired that needs a van, or their wow. son of their their son needs a... So I'm I'm constantly referring business uh, back to the company, and, and I'm
1: glad of that. Is there any way to quantify how many dates you may have booked in your career? Just one? Did you have to, Did you actually? I know it's been documented in through the company. With yeah. if you had to put a number on it, what would your guess? Well,
0: it's in my book, noted memories, and so <clears throat> I tried to do a little math. You know, I looked and I said, okay, 1973 to 2019. You know, and I, and I did the math and said that's 46 plus years, yes. and and then I would say, okay, I was booking 20 to 25 bands minimum a week. Uh, so if you do the 25 bands a week, times you know 50, in a, you know in a year, that was what was that a thousand? And then I went, that's almost 50 years of booking. So I said it was north of 50,000 jobs, Amazing. and that's a lot of jobs. Wow. You know? and that's a lot of yeah. a
1: lot of musicians
0: employed. Yes, and feeding families. And thank cetera. you for saying that because again, because I'm a musician, because I was the same guy at the end of the night we divide up the money however we divided it up and whether you were paying the light bill or I was going back to college and spending it on just something that made me happy what I realized is that so many people that I play with and so many people that I've booked over the years they were surviving with that money and that is not a better feeling not a better feeling than knowing that in some way you're responsible for that You know, there are other agents and again this is not it's just the truth they look about how much money they're putting in their pockets and i just never looked at that way i'll it's not that i didn't want to make money have a great lifestyle be able to feed my family do the things that i wanted to but i knew that you know if you go to um if you're working at a department store and you sell a piece of clothes clothing and you're paid commission you're going to make a few bucks but i knew and I made those few bucks. I was making a lot of money for those other people, and right. it's just something that that I that I love. Yeah. Still feel good about every night when the, the people leave here. I know because I pay them. That maybe that bass player made two hundred fifty, three hundred dollars tonight. Maybe the drum, and it really makes you feel great. What makes a great partnership? It really is about trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is about respecting each other's strengths it's about knowing our each other's weaknesses and and not trying to uh, make yourself uh, feel better because you're better than one person because you can do this it's also being part of a team and knowing you know maybe I'm the guy that could book three times as many bands as the next guy but there was a guy behind me that was supporting me and making sure that all the contracts were done right or the logistics or the computer uh, technology part of the business was was going on, so you've got to put people together on a team that don't all share the same strengths, right? Um, it's like again, a football team that offensive line and the quarterback, the running back, they have different skill sets. And the same thing in business having different skill sets, knowing how to take your ego out of it, knowing how to build trust, knowing how to compromise when you have differences and uh, knowing how to um, you know to be fair I remember uh, the final part of this answer my grandfather uh, I've said this before he used to always say to me remember Larry the three F's and I said what was that pops he said be fair be friendly be firm so that to me was um, how we maintained uh, a successful company and by the way wouldn't fool anybody there are a lot of bumps there's some turbulence there yeah. Yeah. things happen people get angry i get angry don't uh handle myself like i should but you learn uh that uh, you
1: know there's there you have to have that kind of relationship to be successful yeah. what would you say was one of your biggest challenges that you had to endure in the business in the entertainment world a lot of people Think that they should be paid more than the next person,
0: and finding a way to navigate that and sit back and really understand that you know how you value and compensate each other. And if, if somebody does make five dollars more or five hundred dollars more, that if the tide rises for everybody, then you're all doing well. Yeah. And the worst thing partners can do is just. Bicker and fight amongst themselves, just no different than the band. Right? You know our business. What did you make? The trumpet player, asked the funds and you might be making two hundred dollars more than any other band, but because that guy made twenty-five dollars more, he quits, and and maybe that person's value, such that he's loading in the equipment or or whatever it is. But those are things where uh, trying to. Get out of each other's way. Sometimes we
1: can be our own worst enemies. True, very true. You went on to to do some pretty extraordinary things, and you work with some of the who's who in the music business. Uh, talk to me about music with friends. Why is that a passion of yours? Uh, our listeners, I'm sure, will, will be intrigued by the mission. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, that's to really till today is something I'm.
0: I mean, I'm proud of a lot of things I've done. My family is the most important thing, but uh, this idea, this epiphany of of creating a private music club where we bring these world-class legends into the most intimate venue, Uh, and it's a country club for music lovers. Where before the show goes on, there's a wonderful cocktail party, and then these artists like the Dinah Ross, Aretha, Chicago, Doobies, Darius, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Uh, Gladys Knight, uh, Steely Dan, kemps I've had everybody, and people that I would have never dreamed that would become my friends, Tony Bennett's of the world, Michael McDonald, and they sit in a, uh, where we started this intimate church uh, that was transformed into a theater, and there's 600 people there, up close and personal, getting to hear their music, hear their stories, and uh, be there amongst your friends. and. The idea just took off. I was able, uh, this vision I had, I was able to share it. People, they loved it. And at one point we had four cities going, uh, Charlotte, Nashville, Houston, and Charleston. Sort of post-COVID, um, we have Charlotte and and uh, uh, Houston going. 2007, so we're now in our 15th season. Um, I just had John Fogarty, and he was great. I, I've got Smokey uh, coming up this year. And really, I've been fortunate enough to have uh, almost anybody you can think about that's been a great legend. And uh, so it's a, a lifelong pursuit. Uh, we went through challenges when, before COVID, we went through, you know, an economic crisis, but again, uh, we've kept it going. i never dreamed, not my wildest dreams, but um, we are, and it's, it's flourishing. And it's, again, bringing people a lot of joy.
1: How do p- people become involved? Is it that you mentioned it's sport? It, yeah, so it's this, a private so
0: membership club. You join, and you, join, uh, you own a seat, you pick out a seat, and that in, you join for a year, and you pay a seat fee, so you own that seat, for just like in uh, really sports stadiums, yeah, right. a table. PSL, and then there's three shows, you pay a price for the three shows that include everything your food your drink your parking and we poll our members they help pick out the artists that we want you know we reach out to people people know about us we don't market publicly it's not a public show it's private and so um, and it's just for a very small group and I don't want to say exclusive group because we're very inclusive it's just exclusive in the sense that it's a defined group of people that their priority is music Where you spend that discretionary dollar is always up to you. You know, you may be a a season ticket holder in soccer, baseball, football, hockey, or you may go, I want to be a a member, season ticket holder for the arts, for theater, for drama, for dance, for opera, and in our case,
1: for an intimate, up-close, and personal music club. Right. And some of the artists, I mean, these are legacy artists, so to be able to capture these performances, all the performances, video, or is that something that you you stray away from, you just want that that particular group to get it? They're
0: very highly sensitive about uh, the video portion, because the rights just to the video alone would be enormous, I mean, it's like Austin City Limits, that does, I'm not comparing to Music with Friends, but they do a small venue uh, kind of show, but it's it's done for television for those marketing purposes. Not to say, uh, over the last 15 years, I haven't had people that have come to me, that wanted to do the same thing, but we never quite got the model right, so.
1: What are some of your passions outside of music? Music is obviously, you know, a a labor of love and and business for you. What do you do when you're not making music?
0: Well, I uh, love golf. Um, I've uh, taken that up in the last half of my life. Um, I also love sports, so I, love going to professional basketball, football. I uh, really, really, really love Carolina basketball. Go Heels. And uh, uh, I loved it until the last shot of the finals <laughs> this year. But I'm truly excited about we got everybody coming back. No, here. Yeah. And uh, so so Carolina basketball is is one of my favorite things in the whole world. And, you know, um, I, I care about and love my family and love that time. They're the other ones that probably have suffered the most because of, of just my insatiable desire to continue to um, be creative and I've explored uh, you know uh, it's a blessing and a curse mm-hmm. and in some respects it a blessing of all the people that I've met and things that I feel like I've accomplished the curse is I don't know when to stop and that's you know um, it's like I feel like as long as I'm breathing I'm, I'm still dreaming and creating yeah, and sometimes that puts pressure on me too, uh to really know when to say alright enough's enough and
1: For those that are trying to balance uh, the music business and family what tips would you give them?
0: Well I would
1: you know with some regret that I've had for not doing it
0: the right way I would say um, follow your passion but you know your family has to come first in that time but if you're Taking care of your family and you're giving them the love that they need, then they're going to encourage you to do what you love like because that makes you a better person uh, to be around. And but just don't do it at the expense of um, of, of the people that you're
1: closest with. Right. You have uh, sons that are working with you in, in the business. Are you, that seems to be um, your legacy. Obviously, is going to continue uh, long after you're gone. What um, what do you hope for them? For them to follow
0: their dreams. Luckily, um, my oldest son, Adam, helped me find this location and helped me uh, every step of the way with uh, Middle Sea Jazz. But his primary job is as a commercial real estate. Uh, again, it's almost like we we're talking about part-time musicians. Yeah. So most of his money, 98% of his money, comes from that endeavor. But he watches his dad in music, so he loves, Middle C Jazz, he loves being part of this. So he's been great. My middle son is a neurosurgeon, went to Carolina, from Duke Med, and he's in Phoenix in his fifth year of residency. So he doesn't need any of this music. <laughs> and my youngest, Reed, went to North Carolina as well, and um, loves music, and uh, after Chapel Hill, started working for uh, East Coast Entertainment. And I, and I say this, you know, you think, um, sometimes a dad would say this, uh, and I think you're just saying it to say it, but Reed has really learned that, uh, I feel like he's the best of his parents and he has my drive, he's learned a lot, but he's way more organized and he's uh, not as hyper as me. He's calmer and I think it will serve him well, uh, but he genuinely grew up in a family that loves music and a dad who loves music and hopefully, I've given him uh, shared values about taking care of the musicians, and, um, and so I, I already see it, and not and only see it, I hear it because whether it's you telling me or, or and I mean this, customers or bands, they go, we really love working with him, uh, and so I'm really proud, and um, you know, I, I think that he, and I not think, I know, if he desires and loves it, he'll be a great
1: addition to his Coast or anything he does. Yeah. If someone else is looking to get on the non-performance side of the music business, would you recommend someone pursue this path? Would you recommend that people get into booking bands and representing musicians? Is there a shortage there or is it already taken? You know, um, I don't think there's ever a, a shortage. I think you can
0: book all kinds of different acts and genres. I mean, as I was telling you, I didn't know all the agents and managers that represent just the jazz performers that I didn't book at East Coast Entertainment. And there are hundreds and hundreds of them that just are in that world. There are hundreds and hundreds of agents that deal with performing arts venues, like I said, booking classically trained ballet dancers or opera. So it doesn't just have to be anything within the arts. Um, There's lots of different paths. And I say to those that may be listening or thinking about it, just explore, think about what you love, and if you're on the booking side, make sure that you have a passion for that kind of uh, act or music, and that you're a good salesman, and that you really believe in it. Because a lot of times I interview people that just say, I want to be in music. And they were, well, we want to be an event planner. and. Um, And and I would try to explain to them what event planners do or what we do or what managers do or what people on the technical side do or recording industry. Under that umbrella, there's a lot of things you can do. You just have to
1: know that that's that's your love and your passion. Two questions, again, about booking agencies. How do booking agents get paid? And then, in your opinion, what makes a great booking agent? most, Most are either on get
0: paid one of two ways. They get some kind of guarantee and then bonus based on meeting their performance goals uh, and perhaps company profits. And then some agents uh, just purely work on uh, a draw versus a commission. And they may get a draw and then if they hit certain numbers then they really get these back end commissions. And uh, some could just work on commission only. And so you sort of eat what you kill. And, um, and so there's really that formula. And then um, you get in it and you're a partner an owner, you're not making commission. You're just purely, you're making profit. If you got to pay everything else, all the bills, right. all the people that work for you. And then, like any business, what's left over right. Right. Is, is what you make. And then the second question was... Great booking agent. What makes a great agent? Um, this is what I think. Um, I think... When I used to get on the phone with, with somebody, first of all, you really have to be genuine. You um, you, you need to under, really be knowledgeable about your product, be able to sell yourself. Most importantly, let them feel comfortable that that you know what you're talking about. Create a relationship with that person that you may have never talked to in three or four minutes. Learn about them, find out what their tastes are and things. And then, if you conquer those first two, they trust you and believe in you, and then you still have a problem. It's not like if you got on the phone and wanted a band, the first thing I would say was, you should look surrounds them. You want to find out what's important to them for that night. Um, find out about them a little bit. Tell them about yourself. And then at the end, it makes it so much easier because they they trust you and and don't sell a band that makes you the most money sell the band that's right for them right. no matter if it's a band that's half the price and I would have so many people Zach say to me um where what would you do and I would go look if you have all the money in the world this is the band I would book but I will tell you if you close your eyes that this other band sounds just as good and your guest are gonna love them just as much for a half the price. And I think when you're
1: honest, they really appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, as we wrap up, you you have documented your story in memoir form. Uh, tell us about your book and what you hope readers will gain from reading. S- simply during COVID, um, I
0: challenged myself to do something productive. And what I realized is I was fortunate enough to have been in a career where I met people I never thought I would meet. I had experiences that were unbelievable, and I had disappointments and overcame them. Um, I created new kinds of businesses, and I wanted to share that first and foremost with my children, grandchildren, so they would know what I did long after I'm here. I thought the story would be interesting because it was about a lot of famous people in, in crazy situations, and 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 while it's about music, it's really also about life. And I didn't know how many people would like the book or I didn't know how many people would find it interesting. But it's been way more rewarding than I ever thought because so many people have, have called me and told me how much the book meant to them. And then on top of it, there was sort of an unintended consequence. We've taken the proceeds, the net proceeds, and giving it to a group called Arts Plus and they're helping kids that can't afford instruments, get instruments and take lessons. So again, it's about giving back
1: to the community. Awesome, awesome. Well, where can people find your book?
0: Um, It's in the bookstore here Park Road Books. It's on Amazon. Uh, You can go right to Middle C website and the book's there. Or or you can come right in our club sometime and we'll sell it to you. But uh, there's a way to find it between all those sources. Thank
1: you for asking. And this has been great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for for being on the show. Again, a life well lived and and you're a servant to those in the the music community, but the community at large. And uh, it's just an honor to know you. I really appreciate it. You're kind. It's hard to know you. Well, You're thank you very name. much for joining us. My pleasure. This has been another episode of Musical.ly Hitch. We hope you've gained a lot of value from this. Entrepreneur, businessman, family man, entertainment agent. He's a lot of things to a lot of people. I'm glad to know call him a friend. Thank you again for joining us for another episode of Musical.ly Hitch. We'll see you on the next episode. If you enjoyed today's content, go ahead and hit that plus sign or follow button and leave a rating and review. This helps the podcast reach and add value to others just like you. We appreciate your support.